0: Live from the corner of Broadway and Battery, you're listening to Damon Bruce and Ray Ratto on 95.7 The
3: Game. Well, welcome to you. It is great to have you here. It's pretty nice outside this Tuesday afternoon. Valentine's Day. Love is in the air. We love talking sports. It's good to have you here. Ray, I asked you yesterday, chocolates, flowers, anything? You said no. I hope you weren't playing hard to get because I, I really, I didn't bring you anything. You still brought me too much. I decided no, I'm going to give. I less than nothing. I'm going to give the box of chocolates to my wife after all. Good call. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know if it'll earn me any points but
4: i'll try no but you should consider what you would have lost had you not given her chocolates and given to me instead amen uh happy valentine's
3: day to all of you i love sports you love sports or you wouldn't be here right now uh i love watching basketball and last night ray it's one of those nights where you got three games in one yeah, had the Golden State Warriors playing the first portion of the game where they're down early because it's kind of another bad start. And then they come roaring back to sort of take the lead. That is game number two in the game. And then game number three is them having a sort of commanding lead and then watching that trickle away. But they hold on. They win. They beat the Wizards last night who, you know, get a lot of credit for simply refusing to lay down or just go away. Uh, it was a
4: 135-126 win, but it was honestly, it was closer than that. It was, but the one thing that kept happening was the Wizards would need a stop and couldn't get it. I mean, even worse than the Warriors. They allowed the Warriors to shoot 58% and 50% from three. Um, you know, there was nothing that the Warriors couldn't do on offense. I mean, they had 40 assists. Uh, it's... It's why Washington, when they get in the playoffs at all, they are out in, in the minimum number of games. They just, they've never figured out what they want to do. But what they don't want to do ever is defend. Well, you had a game last night that was essentially undefended, either side of the court. Uh, I, the Warriors had flashes. I mean, they weren't great because they're not great. But, I mean, they're, the, the, the second and third quarters, I thought they were... They were they were pretty decent, you know. They didn't commit a billion fouls like they often do. On the other hand, when you look at that team, it's it's Beal, it's Porzingis, and then it's just five guys from the from the health gym. I thought Porzingis played really well last night, and I
3: guess I really had not seen or noticed Porzingis from a haircut standpoint alone. He actually looks like a normal human being. And not like somebody who might have an AK-47 in the back of their trunk or something like that when he doesn't have that that buzz cut, that the, the Howie Long flat top. Yeah, the, the Lego head. He had a normal sort of haircut last night, and it was the first time I ever thought, like, he's a normal looking guy. Like he actually looks like someone who'd be fun to go grab a beer with
4: beard with or a beer not a All, beard <laughs> although I suspect that the fact that he was 12 or 16 made him look prettier than he normally would too he was he was he felt like
3: he was more demonstrative than I've normally seen him he looked like he was laughing at a few things uh I I, I, I I kind of liked what I saw out of Porzingis last night. I really liked what I saw out of Andrew Wiggins last night, which is a shame because he's not going to be playing tonight. But Clay Thompson will be. But first, more on Andrew Wiggins. It's it on the wing. Left side Wiggins. Three ball no good. Clay with a good box out. Gets an offensive rebound. Fresh 14. Ball to Draymond. Pass inside Wiggins. Two-hand slam for Wiggins. He went to the rim. Ray, remember just last week I was talking about him maybe more than any other person on this team as the chief offender and would really go about helping the Warriors if he would take three fewer, probably not going to make them threes. Just go to the rim. See what happens. Maybe you score at the rim. Maybe you pick up a foul at the rim. Maybe you just help the foul count move along because you get fouled on the floor before you even get your shot off. But something better, I think, could happen in this offensive possession if Andrew Wiggins gets aggressive. I thought last night was his best game since the NBA Finals. His best overall game since he was playing in the NBA Finals, where he sort of rewrote what we thought about him as a defender and a rebounder. He was a game-best plus twenty uh, plus 21 last night. He had 29.7 rebounds, 4 assists, 0 turnovers, and he wanted... He wanted the ball. He wanted one on one late game get a bucket situations. He went out of his way to be aggressive. And I don't know if we say that often about Andrew Wiggins, but when we do say it, I usually like the player. I'm looking at it to shame. He's not playing tonight. He's got personal reasons. I hope, you know, it's uh, I, I, Sam Esfondiari, I think, uh, on Twitter joked around and said, you know, it's Valentine's Day. DNP love. Well, I hope it's something that nice. I hope it isn't some sort of personal family something for Andrew Wiggins. But he's not playing tonight. It's too bad because, Rad,
4: I thought he was great last night. He was very good. Um, I don't think he's been as bad as other people think he's been. But he moved the bar in the NBA semis and finals last year. And so now he's graded by a different standard. I think this is more what he normally is. But last night, he he was offensively exceptional. And go. he's not offensively exceptional that often. He tends to prefer to defer. Well, that's the thing. It, it, I, I think his... I never expect
3: exceptional outcomes from his offensive performance. I want him to be as exceptionally aggressive. And I think good good happens to the Warriors when Andrew Wiggins is getting aggressive offensively. And and he got aggressive last night, head coach
5: Steve Kerr. Definitely his best game since he's been back. He had a lot of good games early in the season, but
3: I loved his aggressiveness. He was attacking the rim all night and got it going from the mid-range and just got us a lot of key buckets when we were starting to, to fade a little bit. So Wiggs was great. Look, Clay Thompson had 27 and bounced back from his bad game against the Lakers on Sunday. Ty Jerome was plus 12. What's that mean? Who's Ty Jerome as a player? I, I have trouble explaining him. But he was a plus 12 last night. Was the second best plus minus on the team. 17 points for Dante DiVincenzo. And Ragu hit the big three in the game, which basically moved the Warriors assuredly into the win column. It wasn't the game-winning bucket, but it was pretty much the game-winning bucket. The, the, the Wizards aren't coming back from that three. And... Uh, Clay's going to play again tonight, right? That's significant. He's not played the second game of a back-to-back since his back-to-back devastating career injuries. And he's going tonight. He's he's probably going to get soft-capped in terms of his minute and his workload. I mean, if I'm the Warriors, I'd love to bring him in at around 25 minutes. At a game where you're either you know, comfortably ahead enough to where you can get him out of there, or so far behind you can white flag it without even worrying about it. Like, I, I don't think we're going to get a lot of Clay Thompson, but the fact we're getting any Clay Thompson tonight for the first time is a good sign. It, it's a sign he's getting his legs back.
4: Um, it's also probably a sign that you know the season's getting short now, and all the load management that you did earlier in the year. I guess this is the first time they're going to see if it's paid off, because I think there there are not as many opportunities and not as many uh, opportunities taken to load manage now when you're in the situation the Warriors are in um, that you load manage tactically early in the year when you've still got way mu- way too much season ahead of you. But for now, I I think they're at that stage where they they can they're going to see if all that load management paid off. How can two
3: NBA doctors look at the exact same patient and diagnose him so radically different as the Trailblazers doctors diagnosed Gary Payton II as ready to play, might need a painkiller to get him through the game, but he's ready to go. And the Warriors take a look at him and think, this is a multiple-week injury, which will cause a significant portion of the season to be missed. How can two teams, through what I'm only, you know, safely, I think, assuming, are qualified, respective doctors, how could you have two respected, quality doctors have such a difference of opinion on a player? I think it's a fascinating topic, and we really haven't gotten into it. We'll get into it a little bit today with George Sedano, who called the game uh, against the Lakers on ESPN Radio. Bobby Marks is obviously... ESPN's NBA front office insider, and we got an awful lot to talk about as we sort of begin to re-examine the choices that this offseason, or excuse me, the front office has made here in the season, the choices it's going to make this offseason, especially if it's an offseason that could see the front office needing replaced because Bob Myers has his eye on whatever is next in his career. This is a fascinating fork in the road moment for the Golden State Warriors. They've already started walking down the no James Wiseman fork in their road, which means there's no going back to James Wiseman, who is, I believe, making a debut tonight, Ray, for the Detroit, oh no, tomorrow for the Detroit Pistons.
4: Also for the Detroit Pistons. Yes. So, um, well, the Pistons are dead last in the East, and they are the ideal kind of team for him to show whatever it is he is you know, without the added burdens of, you know, fit this, fit that, you know, we need you to do X, but not Y. I think there's an excellent chance that he will look pretty good for a few games. But the more you load on him is when the rubber is going to meet the road. Because, you know, the Warriors are trying to become an elite team this year. I don't know that they're going to make it, but they felt firmly enough about it that they weren't giving any minutes away to people who weren't helping them be that and Detroit's got nothing but Victor Wembanyama to play for so they have no risks involved at all so they might as well take a look and see if James if James Wiseman's skill set is of NBA quality because nobody really knows he jumps he can dunk but There's nothing special about him yet, and I guess the Pistons want to see. Well, let's see if we can find the special. Steph
3: Curry was talking about James Wiseman yesterday pregame. We want to come on back with that, and obviously some news around the NFL and very sad news out of East Lansing. All of it gets on today's show, and we got George Sedano and Bobby Marks, two great NBA guests a little bit later on. Damon and Ratto, it's a pleasure to have you here this afternoon. We are brought to you by 5-Hour Energy.
0: Call from Mom. Answer it.
3: Now, back to Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game. Look, kids, we're on the YouTube. What do you know? There we are. YouTube.com slash 95.7 The Game. You can watch us live. You can watch everything that comes out of the studio live. You can miss anything that you might have missed live by just tracking back throughout the entire day. It's all right there. 95.7 The Game content. It's on YouTube. We've got uh, George Sedano from ESPN giving us a little content. In about 10 minutes from right now, we're going to get into the NBA and kind of go around the horn with him. Uh, Bobby Marks at 5 o'clock this afternoon here on Damon and Ratto. So I am really looking forward to those conversations. A lot of NBA on the show today. We're going to have a little bit of uh, uh, of NFL too with the news that the Derek Carr era is is officially over. Without getting into any details. How will you tell your kids about the Derek Carr era for the Raiders? I guess,
4: I, what did I say, Oakland? I guess that era came to an end yeah, a, that, a while ago. Uh, I will. Pro- I would tell them, well, if they were young, which they're not, so they wouldn't be interested in the conversation anyway. I would tell them... What will you tell my kids one day? Oh, get off my lawn? <laughs> uh, no, I think I would say Derek Carr, like his older brother found out the NFL is a bastard. David Carr found out because the team he began his career with, the Houston Texans, were too young to know how to defend him. So he got the living hell beat out of him. Derek Carr, on the other hand, was psychologically damaged by playing on a team that didn't know what it was doing year in and year out for almost the entirety of his career. And this is not about the players. This is about the organization, which has been an absolute shambles for most of the last 25 years. And the truth is, wherever he lands will be a better place than the one he left. And all you need to know to prove that is that they waited until the very last minute to release him. Why? I don't know. They'd already told him with two weeks left in the regular season. That they didn't want him back. And he already told them, don't even
3: bother shopping me around. I'm not accepting a trade anywhere. Yeah,
4: so at that point, mutual stalemate. And Derek Carr, who works very hard to be the most unctuous, polite, you know, nice guy in the room. Right. Basically walked around with him, two middle fingers upraised at the place that employed him because they did that with him. I mean... He didn't deserve them, and they definitely didn't deserve him. And this ended the way it should, with mutual recrimination, hatred, and the warrior and the uh, Raiders getting nothing for all their efforts. It really is one big fat
3: chef's kiss of a. Well, that didn't really work out, but it might have had they just had anything other than Derek Carr, and because they usually didn't. Uh, Just Derek Carr alone was not enough to get you a win. The guy had almost as many head coaches as he had seasons, when you think about it. If you want to count the interim coaches that he had. uh, He never had a defense that was ranked better than 20th in his entire Raiders tenure. He was sacked 264 times in 142 games. I mean, just wasn't put in a position to find much success, and that's probably a big reason why they never really did. We'll have more on that a little bit later on, but again, we got to get back to the issue at hand, and the issue at hand is tonight. The Warriors are back at it after picking up a win at Chase Center last night. They go out on the road where the wins have been hard to find. They are in Los Angeles to take on the Clippers. Last night, Clay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins made a very good one-two punch. They only get one of those punches tonight. I guess the good news is that it's going to be Clay, although we haven't seen a lot of Wiggins on back to back. The reason why Wiggins isn't playing tonight, though, isn't listed as load management or anything like that. It's listed as a personal reason. So we hope that there's nothing wrong with his personal circle, shall we say. Uh, this is what Clay said last night about what he thought Wiggins was doing and how well he'd been cooking lately. Wiggins is so good on both sides of the ball and he just energized everybody when he's around the rim, finishing, hitting jumpers, guarding the team's best player. And said it before, we're so lucky to have him and a great night for him. I was really happy with his aggressiveness. He, I love that he led the team in field goal attempts. That gets all of us excited. Again, they want him to be more aggressive and especially in Curry's absence. It's the perfect time for him to accept that challenge. Tonight, the challenge is going to be winning down in Los Angeles without him. Um, Finding a quick start tonight is going to be part and parcel to get you even thinking about winning this game this evening. It feels like it's going to be uphill sledding the entire way. Because not only are the Clippers well-rested, they're waiting to debut, well, uh, they'll be debuting Bones Highland and Mason Plumley, And look who's back, Eric Gordon, after so many years. So they're getting help based on decisions made at the trade deadline. And we all know, based on decisions and circumstances from the trade deadline, the Warriors aren't getting help anytime soon. Because they decided to still green light a trade that leaves them with a doctor's note, not an actual player to come help them right now.
4: Well, they maneuvered themselves into a what what is your standard Hobson's choice, which is no matter what you choose, you're not getting what you want. And the fact is, they they had it's to also do the a deal. really good rum bar on Hate Street. Well, if they bring samples, I'll back your play. If not, then I don't know them. Uh, they didn't have a choice but to make the deal because either way, they were going to have no player. And because they're not going to play, they weren't going to play Wiseman, and they can't play Peyton. Now they worked hard to try to move Wiseman, and this was the best they could do. And that they had to involve two other teams to make this thing work at all. And that the team that we're talking about the most, Portland, was not interested in Wiseman. That to me suggests that. Wiseman was that they were fortunate to find anybody to take him and that it took a lot of other people throwing a lot of other pieces in the air to make it work. So I think they recognized that whatever it was they got or or in this case didn't get for Wiseman was worth it to them because they shaved so much money off their tax bill, if nothing else, because they were never going to use him. That, that ship had sailed. And when you When you accept a trade like this for essentially nobody, you're essentially just putting them on the lawn like a couch. Just here, and hanging a sign that says free.
3: You don't see a lot of second overall couches drafted in the couch draft, hit the lawn though. Especially not when you hardly got to sit on them at all in the living room. And that I think is why this remains mysterious. Not only the circumstances of what brought him here, but the circumstances of how he leaves and the fact that we never really got to get a definitive answer other than the undeniable, you know, deafening silence of all the coaching DNPs. I reject the notion that there's no time to actually see if he can fit or not. I mean, you can't tell me that the NBA is... By definition too long of a year and still find yourself incapable of squeezing in eight minutes for a guy that you are drafting to be not even what you hope he can be today but what he might be tomorrow and you got to reveal if there is reason enough to believe he might be that tomorrow now maybe the warriors have just absolutely definitively have told us what they really think and Steve Kerr can say all the nice things about James Wiseman, but the truth is what they're looking at is just a kid who simply cannot play. Not even cannot play for them, but just moreover cannot play. I mean, that's
4: that's pretty much what they told you. Well, I don't know if they told us the second part, but they did tell us that he can't, can't play for them. Um, the truth is we don't know if he can play in the league at all. That's what the Detroit option will probably show us. If he thrives in a situation where there is no pressure on him, you know maybe he becomes a journeyman. If he struggles in Detroit, maybe maybe your assessment is right is that he can't play at this level at now, all. Are we talking about this? Is Patrick McCaw? Patrick McCaw had some use. I mean, James Weissman... but he's out of the league now. Didn't he's out of the league, league now, now? But it uh, it wasn't like. We saw 60 games. We're fed up. You know, he lasted a while, and he lasted
3: on a couple of he, other teams. He got a second NBA contract. Maybe James Wiseman gets a second NBA contract. If, Maybe. He gets a, if he gets a third, the Warriors have, unless he's, you know, just that typical journeyman center big who is a career seven and three in which case, you don't need to say, well, they botched that, because that's, that's a career, but not really a career all at the same time. <laughs> Here's the thing. Big men basically come in two sizes, two different flavors. You're either made out of stone from head to toe, but at the hands, it begins nice Charmin soft hands. Or you're Charmin everywhere, except when you get to the hands, and then those are made out of stone. If the Warriors would just be honest and tell us he is all Charmin except the stone hands then I get why they moved on. I really do. But otherwise, the fact that they couldn't coach a fit out of him, couldn't get him even to work for them situationally, it still feels like a little bit of not only a failure on James Wiseman's inability to get it, but on this coaching staff's ability to get it into him. Now, you also can't turn a guy who can't play into a player. Jermaine O'Neal is the best case scenario, right? Isn't that what everyone was hoping on? Here's a con- Here's a guy who had, you know, right out of high school. and It was all handed to him too fast. It didn't work out well at all, but he eventually got it. Uh, we get to say hello to George Sedano, who is one of our absolute favorites here on 95.7 The Game. He was just in town. And, Georgie, I wish you would have let me know because I was there on Saturday night. I would have loved to come by and seen you. I know you're doing the game for radio after the fact, but I didn't know it the night of. Um... It was, it was a weird night at Chase Center, man. It was really weird. I don't know how many games you've gotten in there, George, but it was, it was just an odd night. You could tell that there was an unplugging of star power with no LeBron, no Curry. And then everyone who was excited to maybe welcome back Gary Payton II wasn't even able to do that because of one of the weirder trades at the deadline, and it's just an odd night at Chase
5: Center. Yeah, it was an odd night. I don't think there's any doubt about it, and you know the game was certainly entertaining. Still, I don't think there was any question about that. But yeah, it, it had a weird, eerie feel. Um, I wish you—I would have known you were there as well. I was there. I took my daughter, who, much to the chagrin of her mother, the Lakers fan, is a Warriors fan. So I took her with me on the on the trip—a little daddy-daughter trip—because my brother-in-law lives in the Bay Area. So Raymond Ritter was kind enough to get us a pair of tickets so he could go with his niece my daughter, and uh, we had a good time, me and Kalena uh, calling the game. But, yeah, I just think with the Warriors being I I, I don't, like, people just assumed, I guess, because they did okay and they treaded water without Steph the last go-around, that it would be similar, and I just don't know what to make of this team. I have very, I have a very poor read on what to make of this team, other than it never seems to be consistent in anything really from rotations to who's available etc 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 and that's really nobody's fault
4: other than just strange roster construction and just terrible timing on injuries what's the best casual theory that you've heard about them even if it doesn't particularly fit the way you're looking at them does anybody have a theory as to why they are such a persistent hot mess and still in the thick of the western conference race
5: Well, the theory I buy into is
4: that basically
5: Steve has had to coach two teams where you've got the three elder statesmen who are used to playing a very high-paced style of basketball that even historically has been turnover-prone while also coaching a squad of young guys that can't overcome said style of play. And they don't have the experience to do it, and they may not be capable from a talent perspective. They don't have those glue guys like an Otto Porter last year and even the Manja And the hope is that Gary Payton can be one of those type of guys. George Sedona with
3: us here on Damon and Ratto. So obviously, the Payton thing doesn't end the frustration this team felt over James Wiseman because it's just like we've transferred a level of frustration from over here to a new level of frustration to this player who's essentially a doctor's note waiting to play himself what's amazing to me george and maybe you know a little bit more about the inner workings of nba teams is that one team's group of medical professionals can look at a player and say you know a little toradol and this guy can play tonight while the other team's medicals Basically say, here's a guy who needs to miss anywhere between, you know, six to eight weeks. Like those are radically different diagnoses. Looking at the same patient. Um it, it it just feels like we got two different languages being spoken, and we should maybe start delivering power rankings to team doctors because they hold the fate of NBA games right in the palm of their hand as much as GMs and coaches, if they can differ and have such radically different opinions on on who can and cannot play
5: yeah it's it's wild right that that happened i believe that the remedy for this or a potential remedy would be the league has to have independent doctors that also play a part in this that aren't related to the two franchises and that way you can determine physicals that way too, that there needs to be a third party involved. And by the way, it's not foreign, because I can tell you that I covered a scenario with Chris Bosch when he was trying to get cleared with his blood clots, and there was an independent doctor that eventually sided with the Miami Heat in that it wasn't worth Chris Bosch's life, potentially to clear him to play basketball because he had found a doctor that was willing to clear him in that scenario. And, you know, after Cooler has prevailed, it took a while, but Chris eventually came to grips with that. And ultimately, him and the Miami Heat were, were fine after the fact, and they retired his jersey, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that the league has some precedent in a scenario like that. I think that maybe that should just be the norm in regards to trades with injured players.
4: Um, I don't want to get too far down this particular rabbit hole because then you're starting to get into privacy rights of players and does he have a a say in who the independent physician would be? But I do want to ask this. Is this more a matter of general managers disagreeing on how to use a player than it is what the medicals find? I mean, it's possible,
5: Ray, but I would say that in the years I've covered the league, I just think that there are certain medical staffs that do things differently too. And maybe that is at the behest of a general manager or a front office. Um, I would like to think that's not the case, but perhaps you may be onto something. I, I don't know for sure.
3: George, what did you think of the moves you know, around the West? I guess we'll start with the Clippers because that's who the Warriors have tonight. You know, They bring in Bones Highland, they bring back uh, Eric Gordon obviously Kevin Durant is the bell of the free agent or a trading deadline ball once again uh, going to the Phoenix Suns Uh, quite a reshuffled restacked Western Conference deck don't you think?
5: Yeah, I like what the Clippers did I like Highland. Uh, he's a bit of an emotional player, he's not hitting his shots that can affect his game in a big way I like bringing back Eric Gordon, just a veteran presence, and they kind of need that on that team, I feel like that's what they're lacking we were talking about blue guys with the Warriors uh, and Plumlee is a good player. He's been fantastic the the second half of the season. I do think they need a traditional point guard. I thought that maybe Kyle Lowry could fulfill that with his relationship with Ky- uh, Kawhi. Pardon me. Uh, I think maybe that's something to kick on, kick the tires on, perhaps in the offseason. season.
4: Um, the rest of the conference. Uh, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but it does seem to me that New Orleans without Zion Williamson is not a not a play-in team but are you surprised that the rest of the conference has remained as weirdly tight as it is where really the only teams that have pulled away in either direction are denver memphis san antonio and houston uh a bit yes now if i probably dove into it more i'd probably figure that there's
5: injury related circumstances and things of that nature that have probably created um, a bigger gap in some of these cases. And I, also the offseason, right? Like a teams, they assume that they can uh, let a guy go or bring in a guy and that it would work better than the previous guy. So chemistry plays a role in that too, I think. But I just think that the West, if we're being honest, is weaker than it's been, or at least to start the season, it certainly was weaker. Than it was prior to the deadline, uh, than it has been in many, many years. Prior to the deadline, I would say that the East was by far the better conference in regards to how many good teams there were. After the trade deadline, that's, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I think that that's just it, just a lot of migration, and eventually that the pendulum had to swing in the East's favor in that regard. Between
3: George, the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Warriors, who's your one man in? Who are your two men out?
5: I mean, the Lakers are running out of time, and I'm I'm worried about Anthony Davis. Uh, he claims that the he's over the. I, I just don't see a guy that has the same bounce he had prior to that injury. Now, maybe that's confirmation bias because it's what I'm looking for. Um, and then LeBron, this foot injury has been lingering for a while. In the games I've done, I've seen his the training staff working on that foot constantly, and I I, I just think that. Had they made these moves at the beginning of the season, then I think that they'd be a playoff or a play-in team for sure. I just don't know if they've got enough time to catch up. If I had to guess the Warriors and Clippers are in, and I'd, I'd probably keep the Lakers out if, if you're making me pick one. Although I do think all three eventually do make in at least the play You're our
3: Mr. All-LA Everything. Were you surprised at all to see the Sean McVeighs coming back for one more bite of the Rams' apple at the very least?
5: I was not. I know Sean a little bit, and I just know how competitive he is, but I do know, because I've had these conversations with him on the air and off the air, about quality time available. And I think that Sean sees how guys before him have burnt out, and maybe how he's burnt out. And he's talked about this openly with me. I know he's done it on a podcast with Jay Glazer, too. So, I don't think he's going to do it forever. I think he's got a hell of a career as a broadcaster if he wants it. But he's an incredible coach, and I don't—I didn't think he'd go out this way. Uh, they missed 98 games due to injury to starters, 13 different offensive line combinations, both the most in the league. So, if they can just get any semblance of health, and we both know—or we all know—it's a battle of attrition. I think that they'll be at least competitive next year, if not more so than that.
3: Speaking of hell of a broadcaster, George Sedano, ladies and gentlemen, here on 95.7 The Game. Thanks a lot, pal. You got it, guys. Anytime. Have a great show. There he is. Mr. Sedano. Great stuff. Great stuff. Wish we'd known he was in town. We could have partied. He was, he brought his kid.
4: He wasn't partying. He wasn't partying.
3: We could have partied. We will party someday. Uh, interesting stuff there
4: interesting stuff about au revoir Lakers yeah I mean and and he he did allow for the possibility that it's recency bias but they look dude Anthony Davis is completely disinterested in an NBA
3: career at this point
4: I don't know if he's disinterested but he's not healing the way you need guys to heal at this stage of the year and it might not be that, it, that he doesn't care. It might simply be that he can't do. And if he can't do, he does have that demeanor that suggests he doesn't care. But I, I don't think... Bad body language guy. He's kind of a hangdog guy. Yeah, I, I, I think he cares. But I think he's not been close to the player that he was even two years ago when they won in the bubble. Let me tell
3: you who we care about, those on hold right now. When we come on back, your calls. We've got uh, Bobby Marks of ESPN joining us live at 5 as we get into uh, ESPN's NBA front office insider, Bobby Marks. A little bit later on, thanks again to George Sedano for joining us here on Damon and Ratto. Brought to you by Fremont Bank, full service banking, no compromises.
5: Back to Damon and Rattle on 95.7 The Game.
3: Much more Warriors talk coming up here in this segment. By the way, the Warriors Community Foundation excited to announce that the February auction presented by Cash Creek Casino Resort is live now through Sunday, February 19th. Get a wide variety of items up for auction, including signed jerseys, tickets to games, and chance to even meet some of your favorite athletes in person. Don't miss out on an exciting opportunity to give back and score some amazing sports memorabilia all at the same time. Visit warriors.com slash auctions. We the Warriors Community Foundation. Uh, Damon and Ratto here with you. It is good to have you along. The Warriors last night found a win over the Washington Wizards. 135, 126, but as we were saying, it really wasn't even that close. It was sort of three games all rolled into one. The Warriors got down early after a good start. That's game number one. Game number two, they battle back and take a commanding lead. And then game number three is them having to hold on for kind of dear life as the Wizards just played the, hey, you know, we might not be a very good team, but... If no one here is playing any defense, we're going to keep on scoring right along with you. And they did that for an awful lot of the game. The Warriors got a really good game out of Andrew Wiggins, who unfortunately is not playing tonight in Los Angeles against the Clippers. But we are going to get Klay Thompson out there tonight. And again, I don't think there's any any reason to pretend that that's anything other than very good news for Klay Thompson, his recovery, and the player that he plans to be. I got, I got a little sports valentine that I want to hand out a little later on, Ray, and I'm not going to give it to you, but I'm I'm going to give it to Clay Thompson. He's officially earned some flowers in real time, and and I want to give them to him so he can he can smell them. I'm noticing what he's doing, and what he's doing is starting to play and look an awful lot like Clay Thompson again.
4: Well, that's awfully kind of you. I'm sure it'll really resonate within his soul. Yeah, but he was also the guy who against the Lakers was five for 21, so. But that's always been a little bit of part of Clay Thompson, too. It has, but that's been like one of the things that people have seized upon. Well, he's not consistent. He just, and he's been more consistent in past years, when before the, the, the two leg injuries. The most interesting thing is the fact that I think they have finally taken the leash off. And that he is going to now start playing, I would guess, almost every game from here on out. Um, only because the situations have changed. They need all hands on deck now. And I think all the load management that people hated for the first 50-some-odd games is now essentially over. I think the only team... I would hope so. Well, I mean, but that's the whole point of like the 82-game season, which brought us lead load management. I, teams, that, teams that are trying to do business you know, are, are going to play their guys more just because that's what the first half of the year is for, to regulate minutes and you know, not do back to back so that you can do that now. And I, I think he probably has been ready to go, you know, ten, fifteen games ago. But, you know, if you want if you want somebody to be able to play night in and night out, modern science tells you that you have to decide what games are more important than what other games. Eight at eight.
3: Nine five seven nine five seven zero is the number. This is JP calling from the Yoon. What's going on, JP?
5: Hey, what's going on, guys?
0: Uh, you know, I, I just want to add. Uh, I want to give credit and also some constructive criticism to the Warriors organization. I think in the beginning, they were really keen and and capable of acquiring players of skill, of high IQ, uh, people that know how to play the system along with being able to toggle and balance emotional intelligence. I think if you see Bob Myers, Steve Kerr are are also very player-centric. They know how to utilize the player's emotions to get them bought on to also perform. At the same time, that has doomed them. And I think because of their emotional intelligence, they are a little bit locked into that where now they're more concerned about their star player's emotions. That they're letting that blindside the abilities and the athleticism and in, in the skills that the newer rookie players are capable of doing is now blindsiding them. So I think well, what's happening right now is they're kind of top-heavy where they're leaning on emotional intelligence, where they're trying to really factor in those emotions, but it's, it's stemming the growth of the actual team, especially with the rookies.
3: JP, this is an A-plus phone call into a sports talk radio show. You're trying to approach this from an angle – that not a lot of people are willing to approach it from talking about you know the the needs of the young balanced against the requirements of the veterans on this team and that is the balancing act that this entire franchise is trying to find the right fulcrum point on right now right did i even get that right did fulcrum point did i get that fulcrum the point is unnecessary fulcrum Fulcrum, this Ray. Uh, look, no, but, no, but, but I ahead. think that's a really, really good point. They are trying to find that balance, but I don't know if they are like favoring the sensitivities over the veterans more than they're just reaching a conclusion that a very high-profile young player on the team simply cannot play because they're not holding the raw ability or lack of reps against Jonathan Kaminga. Jonathan Kaminga's figured out a way how to fit in. James Wiseman never did. So it's not just like if you're old, we're worried about you more than if you're young, we're not worried about you and we're going to not try to blend you guys together because the old guys can't hack it. Uh, they found found a minute and a space and a place for Kaminga they just couldn't for Wiseman and they haven't for
4: Moody but more uh, to the point not more to the point (laughs) I have to stop doing that Um, it's that earlier in the year what you saw was the starters playing very very well and the second unit playing poorly and if you want to make that a young versus old divide that's fine But the Warriors are not rebuilding yet. That's why the two-track concept was probably flawed in its inception. Because, you know, all of a sudden they got panicked about, well, these guys don't have a whole lot of tread on the tire left. And then they went out and proved early on, well, yes, they do. And you had better do the smart thing and ride these guys out as long as you can. And it's up to the young guys to fit into that. And as you said, Kaminga has done that to a certain extent. Moody has not. Weissman never did. And so it was not, I think, a, a, a recognition of you know, the, the veterans having you know, an emotional issue with this whole thing. It's that they were performing better. And at some point, you have to be pragmatic. And if you don't have the right young guys, you have to have faith in the fact that there are more young guys always coming up every year. And if these guys don't work or if some of them don't work, you replace them and find new guys that maybe will. So I, I don't think this is a sort of a master plan or anti-youth. It's they took the information that they were given by the players, game in and game out. And they said, we can't afford to do this yet because our starters are too good and everybody else isn't good enough. Vince. Vince. In San Francisco, you're on ninety five seven. The
3: Game. What do you got, Vince?
0: Hey, I just wanted to talk about how, um, you know, I, I think Wiseman, he's definitely got the tool set. He's got the God-given ability. He's got the physical attributes. The dude could play. He knows how to play basketball. But it's kind of like when you get a guy who's played formalized basketball and has learned the fundamentals and knows how to use all of that versus a guy who's just been, you know, An absolute killer in pickup games and open run and stuff. I think that's kind of the issue with Wiseman was he had all the talent, but he never had the real time to develop in college. He only played what maybe ten games or something like that in college. Not even, you know. And I think that's a detriment. Yeah, that's a. I think that's a detriment to a lot of these young guys that turn pro. You know, it is. But here, I mean, I guess for guys who play four years in college. They learn stuff that you only would learn in college. And it, you know, it also can go to different sports. Now look at Trey Lance. It's a whole other thing, but Trey Lance is kind of in the same boat. He has all this talent, but why is he not, why was he not being used as a throwing quarterback? James Wiseman has all the tools, but he could never find his way onto the floor. And I think it's an IQ thing and him just not being able to pick it up.
3: I mean, I don't know if it's an IQ thing, and if it's an IQ thing, at some point, you just can't say, well, I got a bad student. You have to turn around and ask the teacher, well, what are you doing to make them better? They couldn't find a situation where James Wiseman became playable in their eyes. Like, not even to go in and close out a defensive possession at the end of a half. Like, you know, we're going to run basically some warped, weird version of a 3-1-1. I don't even know if there is a 3-1-1, but we're going to have three guys at the perimeter. We're going to have basically Draymond just playing free safety at the free throw line extended and we're going to have Kaminga just roaming the lower block, protecting the rim and that's how we're going to try to close out a half and we'll switch everything up front, but maybe Kaminga's just back there as a last line of defense. Like They couldn't figure out any way to use him. And there's a part of me that wants to give the Warriors coaching staff the benefit of the doubt on that. And if you do want to extend to the Warriors coaching staff the benefit of the doubt on that, the only conclusion left is that James Wiseman just has got no dog and just can't do it, and that's why he's not here anymore. Because if they detected, well, he is a dog and he can do it eventually, he'd still be here. I know that they're saving a little bit of money, but I don't think saving a little bit of money was enough reason for Joe Lacob to give up on one of his preferred hand-selected draft picks. Um, and, and it just, it, the whole thing just smacks of it's really odd. And I get why it didn't fit. And you can talk about the player's IQ and how much time he missed based on injuries and COVID and the weird world that we'd been living in. And having said all that, he's still in year three, you know, when you got no marked improvement at all in year three is a matter of fact it's easier to spot the regression how does that happen on a team that we know is run correctly coached well with a player who looks like he's got the physical gifts created in basketball laboratories how could they not get anything
4: from him not a drop of water from the stone that was james wiseman I think the 124 games he missed an injury is part of that because I, he's really not year three. He's really at the tail end of year one. In turn, If you took an 82-game block, okay, so he only played 60 games. Secondly, he was supposed to perform a specific set of tasks that didn't always allow him to roam free and jump with abandon and do the things that that, that he could assemble as his skill set at such an early age. Right, that, that we're assuming Detroit will allow him to do. Yeah, or, or they will. They will be less critical about the details because I think they want to see if he's got NBA skills in him. I think the I think the Warriors, not only because they're still in win now mode because they have the players who are in win now mode, they also use their center differently than a lot of teams do. They don't want the center to. to beat ball dominant ever they want him to be able to defend set a proper high pick and roll um, do nuanced stuff that you're never going to see in a box score and I think Weissman's great failure early on was that he believed that what they wanted was for him to run and jump and you know do physical stuff when what they wanted him to do was the grinding stuff and the grinding stuff doesn't come along easily. Certainly not with a 19-year-old, because you're thinking, why am I grinding? You took me second in the draft. You must love me. And the Warriors' parameters are different because they are still, you know, in an ideal world, championship contenders. And they don't have a traditional center doing traditional center things. All right, and real, I quick, think between-
3: real quick, real quick. It's 4 o'clock, so i got to say...